By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Sweet Spot Podcast. I am John Sherman, owner of Practical Golf, and I'm joined by my co-host... Adam Young from adamyounggolf.com. So we're getting into a little groove here, are we, Adam? Yeah, we've got a few few uh, downloads already. We've got a name. We just need a little jingle to start now. Yeah, I think the next step is maybe getting a uh, intro. We'll see. So anyone who's listened to our first three episodes, we talked about winter practice, uh, how to make a successful swing change, and then some of the bigger myths in the golf swing and how they could be hurting you. Um, we appreciate everyone who's listened so far. If you're on Apple or Spotify, we'd appreciate a follow, a review, something like that. And I think our goal on this podcast, as we mentioned in previous episodes, we just want to give you a well-rounded explanation on various topics on on how to be a better golfer. And um, we're trying to marry up both of our approaches to the game here, Adam being a swing instructor and me being kind of a player coach. And uh, we've gotten some good feedback so far. Have you heard anything good from your readers yet, Adam? Nothing. (laughs) No. Nothing. It's just like dead silence. Yeah, dead radio silence. But... um... No, I actually haven't posted it out to my to my email list yet, so I'm going to do that this weekend. So we should get a little bit more of a buzz. But no, Twitter Twitter feed is pretty positive, and obviously we could be getting biased reviews from people. I, I'm sure they're not going to say to our faces that you guys suck, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see. I'm sure we'll get those you guys suck 
things a little later on, but we'll keep going, keep plowing through it, keep giving good information. If anyone has feedback, you know, reach out to us on, on Twitter. I'm at Practical Golf and Adam is at Adam Young Golf. Um, we'd love to just hear topics you want us to explore, what you think we should be doing. Uh, we're trying to get better at this. And um, I'm pretty excited about this episode. I know I'm, I'm being, I was thinking about this morning, I'm being a little hypocritical so far in our podcast because I'm the guy who's kind of fashioned himself as someone who can help you get better at this game outside of the golf swing. And yet, and almost every topic we've discussed so far has been <laughs> mostly related to the golf swing. And today, and I'm the one who came up with this episode idea, um, we're going to be talking about the golf swing again. Um, but I'm excited about this concept because it's something that's taking me, I don't know, millions of golf shots and, and 20 years to really wrap my head around. And we just want to present this concept to you in a few different ways because I just think the knowledge... Of, of what we're going to talk about, which is uh, controlling the club face at impact or face angle. I, I now view it as one of the, I don't know, top two or three things you have to get right at impact. Perhaps the most important for me. Um, I don't know where you stand on it, but as I learn more and more about the golf swing, I, I just realize how important this is. Yeah, my top three are face strike, so heel or toe, ground contact, so fat or thin, and then face direction. Uh, it's important for you, the face direction, because you already have strike down. But for, for other people, I think strike is the most important thing, because basically if you hit four inches behind it, it doesn't matter where that face is looking. But once you've got that strike reasonable, once you've got it functional, the face direction is going to be far more important. And everybody focuses so much on swing path, and it's yeah. it's not that that's not important. Of course, of course, it has some importance, but it doesn't it doesn't override what the face does. It doesn't have more importance than the swing than the club face. We'll probably get into that a little bit in this conversation, in the sense that you know you technically could have any type of swing path into out out to in or even a zeroed out swing path, but it's really the matchup with the face angle is the most important, and and I think we're going to try and go through that and. The thing that got me thinking about this was actually watching Jordan Spieth last week at the Waste Management. Um, I think I texted you about it, and your response was, "Who's Jordan Spieth again?" <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> do you, you, don't even, you don't even watch. You don't even watch pro no, golf I, anymore, do you? So I, I love Jordan Spieth. I think he's a, a great player. I, I like him because he has, you know, a quirky swing as well. Uh, or he has some quirks in this. I'm always interested by players who kind of don't go against the mold. And is that a phrase? Go against the grain or break the mold? I don't know. Um, he's an outlier. Yeah, he's an, he's an outlier in certain aspects. So, but I, I haven't really followed his. I don't want to say demise, but I know he hasn't been <laughs> on good form for the last what two, maybe three years or so. Three. Yeah. yeah, it's it's been pretty rough. I mean, I'm a big Jordan Spieth fan. I just love the way he's played golf maybe not so much the last three years but you know last week he had this kind of I wouldn't say a rejuvenation mm. but he kind of made some noise for the first time in a while but what caught my eye is and what still really makes me nervous about his swing is in the first round I mean he shot a 67 but it was like I mean his driver if you look at the shot link at the map I mean he had some shots that was like they were literally off the map I mean he was somewhere between 60 to 70 yards from the center of the fairway. Wow. He was hitting it where where the Coyotes are. 
And I think someone said on Twitter, like, oh, maybe he needs a new driver. And my response was, there isn't a driver in the world that's going to fix that. Because if he's missing his target that much with his driver, I don't know the specific reason in his golf swing that's causing it. But what I do know is he's not controlling where that club face is pointed at impact for him to miss it that far offline. I mean, we know he's striking it well. We know he probably has a consistent path in his golf swing. But what was amazing about it is that he was able to keep himself in contention despite, you know, probably I think he was almost last place with strokes to gain strokes gained off the tee, hmm. mainly because, you know, his approach play is so strong. His his wedge play around the greens and putting was exceptional. But it got me thinking a lot about when people ask me, like, what do I need to do to get from a twenty handicap to a ten or a five to a scratch? You know, a lot of the things that you talk about on your site, Adam, all the different fundamentals of of ball striking, whether it's, you know, angle of attack, um, your strike on the face, there's all these things. But the one thing that I think about now is like, if you can't control where that club face is pointy at impact, you've got a big problem on your hands because I'm going to have you define it for everyone, but it, it really determines where the ball is starting. So if you're missing the fairway by 50, 60, 70 yards, that's that's where the problem is at impact. Your club face is just not matching up well. Why not? And this is something I've struggled with with my driver for a long time, and I think I've fixed it the last few years and, and seen a Ooh. tremendous improvement in my game. Fixed but, is a scary word. Well, if the golf sorry, gods I've are listening, yeah, <laughs> they'll yeah. take it away from you. Yeah. Wrong wrong nomenclature. I've gotten better at it. As as I've said on other episodes, you never eliminate a problem. You make it maybe less worse or a little better. But I'm getting better at... Con- I used to hit the ball all over the place off the tee, and it was probably the main thing that held me back in my scoring. Um, so why don't we start off with the definition of face angle? Why don't you... You're Mr... Swing instructor spent 10 years on a track man and your GC quad now. So you've seen thousands of different golf swings and face angles. Why don't you start us off for people who really don't understand what this is? Um, give us a definition and, and maybe a little explanation of its importance in the golf swing. So face angle is a 3D vector. If you imagine a line pointing straight out, completely perpendicular to the club face. So you could just rest a T up against the club face. And where that T would be pointing would be the three-dimensional vector. And so there, there's two components to this. Most people understand or they they know about the leading edge part of that. So if, if I ask a player, open the face, they will open the leading edge. They'll make the leading edge point more to the right and vice versa, closing it, pointing it more to the left. What people don't often think about is how the lie angle also affects the face. So if you turn that face or if you if you turn the club more toe up, so you lift the toe up off the ground, that actually points the face more to the left, all else being equal. And if you point the toe down or heel up off the ground, then that will point the face more to the right. And for most people, they present the lie angle relatively consistently. Uh, it's, it's quite a difficult thing to change directly as well. But uh, you can have, obviously, club fitting is, is one of the easiest ways to change any negative patterns with that. You know, I'm I'm a short guy, so I need shorter clubs and or flatter clubs. Because if I if I grab an off-the-shelf club, that club sits toe up for me. 
and then I end up hitting everything left as a result of it. So when I get that club bent more toe down or flattened, then that helps me with my face direction. So that, that was actually one of the things I struggled with for many years as an amateur. I hit everything left and I built lots of things in my swing to try and open that face to counteract the, the lie angle effect on the club face. That's literally the same exact thing that happened to me. And, and whenever I tell people about club fitting, I always say probably the most important thing to get right is the lie angle on your irons because I too had a very upright club that wasn't flat enough for my swing. And because of that, my shots were going further left. Um, same problem you had. And, and when, you, when I got it flattened out, all of a sudden my ball flight uh, straightened out quite a bit. But it also shows the importance of how that club face is oriented at impact that kind of sends the ball on its marching orders on, in, in terms of what direction it's going to start. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think decades ago, before we really understood why the golf ball does what it does at impact, didn't they think that path, like the club path, was the determinant of where the golf ball was going to start? Like if you had a out-to-in path, you were going to start the ball left because of that. And, and now we kind of know that's not entirely true or maybe not true at all. Yeah, you can pick up a load of books from professional golfers. I know, I think it's in Faldo's book. I, I, I don't want to just zone in on him, but there are loads of professional golfers who believed when they were playing that the ball started on the direction of the swing. So if they swing to the right, the ball will start right. And in fact, for a time, that was part of the Professional Golfers Association manual. So all the teachers in the world were getting taught that. It wasn't based on science. It was based on feel. I, I don't know the full story of it, but it was wrong. And there's an element of me that says it's almost a harmless wrong in a, in a way. I'm going to get shot to pieces for that. But because it's it's one of those half-truths. And the half-truth behind it is, if I ask a 100 golfers to swing more to the right, it's very likely that they will present the face more open as well. It's very likely that on an average, the face will shift. So in terms of practical information, it might have some, some truth to it. But in terms of the physics of it, the cold, hard truth, the ball actually starts close to the face. And the path only has a small influence on the starting direction. So with a putter, and this is the rule, the lower the loft, the more the face has an influence on the starting direction. So with a putter, it's a 90% influence. If you had that club face just one degree closed at impact, that ball is starting left with a putter. Even if you swing five degrees from the inside, it'll still start left. Now, when you increase the loft of a club, so as you go to a wedge, the, the path starts to have a little bit more influence on it. So the, with a wedge, the face has a 60% influence and the path around about 40. This does depend on other things as well, like the ball you're using, the friction created between the club face and the ball. So it, say, for example, it's wet. You're, you're playing after, just after a light rain and the club face is wet. The face has an even higher influence on the starting direction. So it, it does, uh, it, it's quite a dynamic thing. And I don't think you need to know exactly the ratios. I'm, I'm sure lots of people are kind of glossing over as I talk about these numbers, 90% and 60%. But the overarching rule is the ball is going to start closer to the club face. And for me growing up as a junior golfer, reading Golf Digest and all these magazines and digesting that older information, 
you know, they used to tell you, because I, I tried to play, I mentioned this in our Swing Change podcast, I was trying to play a fade as a as a junior golfer, and they always say like, oh yeah, open the face up for a fade. So I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd have probably the correct path I was going out to in, but I was just thinking to myself, I got to keep my club face open. And what it resulted in was either a straight push or or an enormous block because because my club face was open and impacted, I didn't realize this at the time, that was fighting against what had to happen, which is actually to hit a functional fade, the club needs to be pointing left of your target. Uh, we don't need to get into the whole, you know, uh, the face-to-path relationship could be a whole other uh, conversation, but that that totally screwed me up. And then when I switched to hitting a draw, I were like, oh, now I can have the face open and 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 really when I shifted my swing path from in to out, I had a much better result because now because my club face is open and impact, it's starting to the right of my target and my path is helping it come back to the target with a right to left curvature on it. Um, so for me, learning the ball flight laws correctly, and I, you know what I'd like to do is I'll post. You, you wrote some articles on this, and there's some videos out there. I'll post links to that um, in the show notes so we can see it. But, you know, when you said about the half truths and the stuff we learned back in the day about the paths would start the ball's uh, direction, um, that screwed me up tremendously <laughs> for for probably a decade. I suppose that's why we need the accurate information. And, you know, even on, on your topic, you'd have to say when we talk about an open or closed face, you'd have to say open or closed to what? You're talking about relative to the target. So for you to hit a fade, you you need... For anybody to hit a fade, it's physics. You need the face actually closed to the target. But you also. I think that's what most people don't understand still sometimes is that you do have to keep it, you know, if if your target line is straight down the line, like it's a, think of a straight, you know, line parallel to your feet for simplicity's sake, um, you need to present that club face closed to that target to start it left of the target. Yeah, but with that with that but, said, it needs to yes. be open to the path. If you want exactly. it to curve it to the right, then it needs to be open to the path. So I usually talk about face relative to path more often, just because it's a little bit more intuitive. You know, if the face is open to the path, the ball will curve more right. If the face is close to the path, the ball will curve more left. And in fact, you don't need to know these numbers to to the point that you know a GC quad or a track man gives you you can use the ball flight for most of it and you know I use simple rules like if I want the ball to finish more left then I get the face more left at impact if I want the ball to finish more right I get the face more right at impact all else being equal yes and, and that's that's probably one of the more important things I want people to get out of this conversation is that you know we've, we've mentioned this in other episodes that I think most skilled golfers know how to adjust on the fly, whether they're practicing or they're on the course. They're paying attention to what the golf ball is doing and they're making small adjustments. And for me, intuitively, what I'm thinking and feeling about is mostly how I'm presenting the face of my golf club. So for example, if I'm on the course and I know, you know, I'm going to be drawing the ball every day I play, but Some days I'll be warming up and all of a sudden, you know, my ball's starting straight and curving to the left. So I know intuitively like, oh, I've got my face a little too closed. It's just that's my feel for the day. So I'm going to try and flash it open 
knowing that it will start the ball further right of where it's currently going so I can hit that functional draw and vice versa. If I'm starting the ball too far right of my target on most shots, I know that I'm going to have to close that face down a bit. Exactly. That's exactly how I play. And you don't need to know exact numbers with that. I mean, obviously, I practice with the best equipment out there. So it tells me to the nearest 0.1 degree where my face is pointing. But when I'm playing, I don't I don't need that information. It's obviously nice to have, but I don't need that. I do it how you just described it. If I'm hitting shots and my pattern is too much to the left, I'm just going to tweak that face open until it neutralizes the pattern. And if my shots are missing to the right on the day, I'll close the face a little bit more well I'll introduce something that produces more of a closed face I see the path changing the swing path as kind of your long-term thing and that doesn't really bounce around that much when you look at players on on any kind of launch monitor the path is going to be the more consistent value out of path and face the path is going to be more consistent and you use the standard deviation number to see that and usually it's twice as consistent as the face direction but for me the face control is is what you need to do in the now if if you're playing around the golf right now you're on the course you need to be able to control tweak calibrate that face on the fly I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I've heard over and over again is that, you know, most golfers talk about, oh, you know, I wish I was more consistent. And, you know, that's a dangerous word in the golf world. What I've come to understand in my own golf swing and watching other players and, and certainly seeing a lot of the launch monitor data out there is that, well, you are quite consistent with the path of the club. So when you think about that chronic slicer, and I'm sure you've taught a number of them, how often are they presenting you know we don't have to get into the numbers so much but when you're looking at them on your track man like how close is that path which is going to be severely out to in from swing to swing you're saying it's it's pretty consistent usually they're they're delivering the club in a very similar way each time in terms of the path of the club correct yeah usually what i see with players and obviously it depends person to person but usually what i see is the path is twice as consistent as the face. So with my yeah. own numbers, obviously, if I'm practicing block practice, I'm kind of robotic and the path will have a standard deviation of maybe half a degree either side. But the face is going to have double that. It's going to have a one degree standard deviation. And then you can extrapolate that out. If you've got a worse player, they might have a, a path that has a standard deviation of one degree or two degrees which isn't much it's not a lot in but in both terms this is this is another conversation of how such small differences between elite players and and poorer players could be just half a degree of standard deviation but again the face is going to be twice whatever the path is in most cases that i see and when you take a, a bigger step backwards and you think about, well, how do golfers score and how do golfers improve their scores? I've rung this bell a million times on my site is that most golfers assume that in in, in order to lower their handicap, they're going to have to be hitting more of those shots that you're going to be talking about at the end of the round. We're like, oh, I stuck it on the pin on number 12. And that that's generally not the case. When I see most golfers and myself included, the path to lowering their scores, when you're thinking about tee shots and approach shots, I'll start with tee shots. Most of it is going to be removing those big oops swings where you 
are hitting it well left or well right of your target because, you know, to hit a successful drive, you can hit it in the rough. But as long as you have a clear path to the green and you've hit it relatively close to your average distance with, let's say, your driver, to me, that's a successful tee shot because you've got a clear path to the green and you can advance the ball. Where golfers get into trouble is when they put themselves in recovery situations, whether that's in the trees or like Jordan Spieth, he was in the desert. That's where you start losing the big strokes or you're in fairway bunkers or, of course, out of bounds or in penalty areas. Um, Those are the shots that take away a huge amount of strokes from your score, but they also demoralize you. They scare you because, you know, you're worried for the next one. And when you think about what causes that in the golf swing, it's it's how that golfer is presenting that club face at impact you know and you said it it can be a small thing it could be a degree or two but that's why i feel this topic is so important and even with approach shots if you're missing the green well left or well right um, you're losing strokes there so we know this is important and my question to you as an instructor is like well i want to help people get two pieces like first of all how can you diagnose your face issues and i think we can do that with ball flight but secondly like you have a lot of ways to help people improve that. So let's start with like the diagnosis. And this could be very simple, but how would you tell a player to diagnose their their face issues in their golf swing? Is it going through their rounds and their practice? Like where do you start? Really simply, if your patterns are too far to the left, your face is too closed for your for your path at this moment in time. And if your patterns are too far to the right, your face is too open. For, for that. I, I know lots of people are saying, well, that's not completely accurate because you missed out path there. It's like, no, regardless, if you have the same path, say you have a player who's five degrees in to out. Well, if he's pushing everything to the right, a more closed face would turn that into a draw. And if he's hooking everything to the left, a more open face would turn that into a draw. So you can fix it. You can fix any shot. You can turn any path into a functional shot just by tweaking the face with that simple algorithm. It's really simple, right? You want the ball more right, get the face more open. You want the ball more left, get the face more closed. So here's the, I guess, the, the million-dollar question of this conversation. What are some reasonable ways if, if someone starts realizing that, and I hope this conversation gets you thinking about that and club face awareness, where the club face is pointing, because I think about it a lot in my swing. What are some reasonable ways while practicing or on the golf course um, to fix this? So I. I know I put you, I put no, you no, on a big spot it's, there. It's a perfect I know thing. You, I know you have the answers. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect question. I just, I want to almost lead into it a little bit in terms of that. You said something earlier about, you know, one or two degrees. I just want to put some numbers on that because that leads into how I would change it. If you hit the ball 250 yards with a driver. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. 
and they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. How far offline would the ball go if you present the face one degree open? What, what, what do you think it is? So you change the face by one degree at 250 uh, yards. I mean, I'm going to say like 20, 30 yards offline. I don't know. Uh, That's my guess. It's not that far. It's, it's 13 13 yards 13? offline, okay. but it's significant. So, you know, if you've got yeah. a, if you've got a fairway that's 26, 26 yards and you aim down the center, you only have to present that face one degree either side to miss it. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculously precise. And can I just interject something really quickly? And this will probably get me in a lot of trouble. But um, when we talk about, you know, guys or even female golfers on the LPGA tours, like they just have impeccable face control with their drivers. Like for you to swing that fast, 120 miles an hour, or whatever, and be able to control the club face like that, um, I just am blown away by it because, as you said, one degree can make a difference. And, of course, as you hit it farther, that one degree <laughs> turns into how many yards offline if you're hitting it 320? It it does, yeah. I mean, the rule is it, it curves about 4% for every degree offline. So 4% of 250 yards is 10 yards. But there's also the starting direction element. So if you present the face one degree open to the path, it's going to curve 10 yards offline, but it's also going to start more offline as well. So the numbers actually, I was surprised. I did run the math on it and I did it for, you know, 200 yards, 250, 300 yards. And it wasn't a huge amount different when you went to 300, 300 yards or so. But it, yeah, it is more difficult at 300 yards to hit a, a similar size fairway. But it's just, it's all about how it's such a small difference between a shot that misses the fairway and one that gets piped right down the center. And we're talking one degree. Most people can't see one degree. Most people can't see three, four, five degrees statically. You know, if I ask someone, can you present that face three or four degrees more open at a dress? They couldn't do it accurately. Yet we're expected to do it at a hundred mile an hour swing speed. It's like, we're, everybody is incredible at golf. You know, the fact that we can hit it anywhere near where we're, we're thinking about hitting it is an incredible feat of human nature. So it, it lends into then how do you change these things if you want to improve face control? And I see it in two different ways. I see changing a pattern as different to improving your control. So, for example, if someone's slicing every single thing, right, they're, they're aiming down the center of the fairway, they hit 100 shots and 99 of them finish in the right rough. I'm going to approach that differently. So I'm going to approach that just by introducing something to close the face. Now, it might be a feel. Or it might be something more technical. So how could you close the face technically? Well, you could add more lead wrist flexion at different points in the backswing. You could change shaft pitch. Uh, that's, a, that's a more complicated one. You could change face rotation at the bottom or forearm supination at the bottom. You know, lots of people understand that. The face, the, the toe overtaking the heel. So uh, lead forearm supination. Those are the three main ways that I'd look at. You could change the grip as well. You know, st a stronger grip tends to present the face more closed, all else being equal. Um, or you could even start with the face more left if you want. There's no rule in golf that says you have to start with a square club face. You know, it'll, it'll, I'll, I'll often be on the course 
hooking it left one day, and I'll just open the face address and then go out and shoot seventy. Because I would say that I present my face open on probably most of my iron <laughs> and driver shots, especially with what you said when I when I have issues hooking the ball or starting it too far left, either one. Um, I'll flash that face open at a dress to make it a point to myself. Um, it's kind of like a mental cue almost. Yeah, definitely. I do that all the time. I'll set up the face 10 degrees open if I have to. If that's what I need to do to present it functionally and get the ball on target, I will do it. Can I tell, can I tell you one extreme thing I did? And it, it, I think it, it could show people how the opposites can help. I was at a um, tournament in Bermuda playing with um, some ex-athletes. And I just showed up to that event. You talk about face control issues. I was starting the ball left and it was hooking. Like it was embarrassing. And the only way I could solve it because it was so extreme, you know, I was going to be playing in a stroke play event with ex-athletes, real professional golfers. The guy who invited me there was expecting me to play well. So I was like, I got to solve this. So I would, I, my, my only fix I could think of was I stood with my feet, like literally pointing at the target, doing the exact opposite, doing this slice swing with the face as wide open as I could, and then trying to hit the shot. And somehow it neutralized it. And it gets back to, I think, a theme that you and me have both spoken about is that when you do have a problem in your golf swing, doing the opposite sometimes helps. Almost always and helps. Yeah, it's, almost, it's yeah, almost always because it, it neutralizes the issue. So if you, like Adam says, if you're diagnosing an issue with how you're presenting that club face at impact and all of your sh shots are starting too far to the left, let's experiment with, you know, doing what you can to open up the face and start them to the right or even get them starting down the target line um, to begin with. I mean, we always kind of get back to that, but sorry I interrupted you there. You're on a big uh, talk about different fixes. You're talking about technical fixes um, in the golf swing that you could help fix these face issues. But for the sake of this, for someone who's maybe not getting swing lessons, um, what are some ways in practice that you tell people, I know you have a lot of programs on your site, but if you had some drills for people to do to get more club face awareness, um, what are some recommendations you would make in their practice routines? Well, to your point of you turned up on the tee and you hitting it poorly. And that's going to happen regardless how much effort you put in, how much practice you put in. You could have your swing looking beautiful one day. And this is going to happen more often than not. You're going to turn up, you're going to be warming up, and that ball is not doing what you want it to. It's called golf. Yes, exactly. So you need to have a toolbox of fixes and for the, for the club face direction. And you need to have that in place before you need it. <laughs> so you can't just turn up and go, Oh, my ball's going left today. Let's, let's learn something new now. No, you've got to have that in already down. So if my golf ball is going left, I have a number of tools. I can open the face through changing my lead wrist flexion at the top. So just a feeling of cupping my wrist at the top. I can open the face through holding off the ro forearm rotation through impact. So it feels like a karate chop through impact. So that lowers the, the forearm supination. I could just weaken my grip as well. That tends to open the face for me. So I know these things in advance. And I also know how much it changes the ball flight. So for example, if I've got a small left shot going, it's going maybe five, 10 yards offline, I'll just tweak the right hand grip 
because I know it has a small effect on my ball flight. Whereas if I have a big hook going on on the day, I'm going to tweak my left hand grip. I'm going to weaken that because I know that has a much more dramatic effect on the result. So I, I know what fixes to implement and I know how much they'll influence the result as well. But those are technical fixes. I also have feel based fixes. So I'm- yeah, I think the intuitive ones, um, especially for someone who's like, all right, I'm interested in working on this. What can I do with the range? Like, I think that's, that's really the, what can I do intuitively and experimentally in my practice sessions to figure this out? Well, this is it. I get all my players to develop the feel-based tools because regardless of whether they use them or not in the course, it improves their ability to calibrate a shot. So the feel-based ones, I start out with a really simple level. You know, even with a complete beginner, I would just say, can you hit 10 shots to the right of this stick for me? So I'll stick an alignment stick in the ground in front of them. I'll say, hit 10 shots to the right of that with a chipping swing. And if they can't do it with a chipping swing, I'll do it with a putting swing. And then I'll reverse it to hit 10 shots to the left for me. So that's building the basic awareness of left and right. And every player can do that. Every player can do it. And then we add on a few more levels. It's like, okay, we'll hit a, hit a big right for me, then a smaller right, then a big left and a smaller left. And then we start to build up. We do that with a pitching swing, a full swing. And then once they're doing that with a full swing, we add more levels on, hit a big medium and small right. And this is quite challenging now. This will challenge a single figure handicap. And I just keep layering on certain things, layering layering on more difficulty. I might close certain boundaries down. So I'll say, you know, you've got to hit a big right, medium right and small right, but they all have to be within say 60 yards of the target. And then the next level will be within 50 yards of the target. So they're starting to, as their feel is building, they're starting to get challenged a little bit more. And then we get all the way to the elite level where I might be on a GC quad with them saying, I want you to present the face one degree open. Now present it two degrees open. Now present it three degrees open. And then I'll reverse it. Now do one, two, and three degrees left. And you obviously, you can't jump a beginner to that level because they will just look at you going, I don't, I, I can't feel that. So you have to get them at the point where they can currently feel it. And like I said, every beginner can feel right and left. And then when you layer it on over time, they build the control of the feel. And now where this is valuable is if I am on the range and I am hitting it 10 yards left, I can say to myself, what does it feel like to present the face one degree open? And my brain instantly can call upon that feel. The Chasing Scratch guys are going to love me for that. And I'm known for saying recall the feeling. And that's all it is. You build these feels in practice so that you can recall them in play. And it's that rule that we've talked about. You take your fault. If the face is too closed, you try the opposite. Feel an open face. And that's, I I view, you know, when you talk about the golf swing and experimenting during practice, I think there's a lot of value in hitting shots that you would never hit on the course. And I, 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 I view it as building reference points in your golf swings. And I think you're alluding to the same concept here. Yeah. Um, and you're, and, and every day when you show up in golf, your reference points switch relative to where they started. So on certain days, 
what feels like a great down the line swing, all of a sudden you show up and you're hitting it left. All right, so I need to shift my reference point. I need my open feel that day and vice versa if you're hitting it too far to the right. And I'm sorry for the lefties out there. We're all using these examples as a right-handed player. But that's that's kind of how I've come to it in my own practice and my own golf swing is that I almost have to reserve a certain part of my practice sessions to hitting shots that really I wouldn't necessarily hit them on on the course but like you said like all right I'm going to hit that one really far right I'm going to hit that one really far left and what that's doing is that's building club face awareness and that skill um, so that you can make those adjustments when necessary with the knowledge and I hope you're gaining it from this episode that yes if you are hitting the ball too far to the left initially, like let's say the start line, then the, the, the fix to that is opening up the face a bit. Well, the problem if, is if you don't practice these things beforehand, you'll be able to do it, but not precisely. So say someone doesn't do the left and rights in, in their practice sessions. If they get on the course and they're hitting it left one day and they say, oh, right, I remember Adam and John said I need to open the face. Well, If they're doing that in the middle of the round and that's the first time they've ever done it, they're probably going to overdo it or underdo it. And then they're going to hit they're going to hit that they're going to hit that unsubscribe button, too, because we've totally screwed them. And that that's like always maybe we should have a disclaimer on every episode we're doing is that knowledge in golf can be very deceiving. Um, So when you learn something new like this, you get excited and you want to bring it out on the course. And that that's just not how it works in golf. And I try and manage people's expectations as much as I can. The knowledge is the first step. So if you're learning this for the first time, like, oh, that's why my ball's going to the right. And maybe you already knew that on some level. Um, the next step is, I think what we talked about is is maybe doing some experimentation in, in your practice sessions. Um, do you think that's a great starting drill for anyone is like what you said is just take 20 balls, hit a certain percentage of them, try and hit them to the right, try and hit them center and try and hit them left and maybe start with your wedges and work your way up with the lower lofted clubs. Like, I think that's a great starting point if someone wants to build some club face awareness. Definitely. And like I said, you have to find that point where you're challenging someone's feel. So if I took a 10 handicap and say, hit it right and hit it left, they might be bored with that task because it's like, well, that's easy. But if I start to ask them to do it precisely, now the brain becomes engaged. But if I ask a task that's too precise, they they drop down in engagement again, the learning drops down. So again, if I ask that 10 handicapper to present the face two degrees open, they're going to be, they're not going to be able to feel it. Whereas if I, if I gave them a window, if I said to them, I want you to present the face between zero and three degrees open for me, then three and six degrees open. Now they can feel that. I use the analogy of playing darts. You, you Americans don't play. Oh no, you do. You, you. I just, I, I. It's so funny you said that. Like, I just, I love darts. I just bought a dartboard <laughs> like three weeks ago, and I've been meaning to do it for years. So I've been throwing darts every night. Well, this is the thing, right? If if you're a complete beginner. The first goal is just hit the board, right? You can feel yeah. throwing above the board. You can feel throwing below it. You're just trying it. not to put a hole in the wall. Yeah, exactly. But you're just trying to hit the board. As you get a little better, as your feel improves through practice and through that constant feedback, you can start to aim at different parts of the board. So you could say, oh, I want to aim at the 20. I want to aim at the 3. But if I asked you to do something too precisely, 
like hit the treble of the twenty, you'd be like, "Well, I can't do that. I can't feel that." And so the brain gets turned off. It's the same with club face control. You've got to find that sweet spot. Oh, I've, I've oh, look at you I've plugged the, the show. show. You've got to find that sweet spot of where the person's feel is currently at. It's called challenge point theory. If you pick something that's too easy for someone, they don't learn. If you pick something that's too difficult for someone, they don't learn. Just like weightlifting, if I shove three hundred k on the bar, or sorry, sorry, six hundred and sixty pounds, you're not going to learn. You're not going to get stronger because you're just going to get crushed. And also, if I just give you the bar, you're probably not going to improve your strength from that as well. But there's a sweet spot in there that you can improve your strength. You've got to find that right load, and it's the same with all skill development stuff as well. So if I was working With you, I would find that sweet spot. I'd find that challenge point by saying, "Hit a big right, medium right, and small right," and I'd see your ability to do that. If that task was too difficult for you, I'd take a level away. I'd say, "Just do a big and a small right." And once you could do that successfully, then we layer on more levels. So I keep pushing back and forth, just like a computer game, finding that right point for you, and then your feel is going to be much more. You're going to learn it much quicker. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean, would, would would it be safe to say that's everyone's homework assignment if they listen to this episode and they want to get excited about this? Because honestly, I you know the two things that I'm most focused on in my golf swing are impact location, which you talk about a lot. I talk about a lot on my site, and face control. That's that's really it's golf. What I'm that's that yeah honestly that is golf in a nutshell i know you mentioned ground contact obviously that's another fundamental that's important and obviously managing the relationship between the path of your club and and where the face is presented at at impact but really those are that when i hit golf balls on the range those are the two things i'm thinking about on every shot you know when you want to give your practice meaning and you're engaged every shot i hit in some way i'm thinking to myself where did i strike that and did it start on the line I wanted to? I just think that, you know, as you make your way through this game, those are really the two things that you're constantly trying to calibrate because they do change on you. My impact location does change. Sometimes it shifts too much to the heel on me. And I know other golfers struggle with toe shots. Or some days I show up and for the life of me, I can't understand why my golf club face is so shut at impact that I'm hitting these left going left hooks, which is the one shot I'm trying to avoid on the course. So really what I'm trying to do in my golf game is mostly manage those two things. Because as we said, my path is what it is. Some days maybe it's a little more extreme and I'm hooking it a little bit more, bending it more. Um, But for the most part, I I feel like that's a consistent part of my golf swing what's not consistent is my strike some days i struggle with that and where my club face is pointing at impact so i just think like if you've never thought about this if you've never practiced it um it it, it could have a huge reward for you um, if you start building these reference points in these fields it's all i focus on in my own game you know, I'm listening to you. I'm saying we're, we're the same person, you know, and I'm an instructor. I can talk about forces, talks, ground pressure. But when I'm playing golf, all I'm thinking about is how well did I strike it? And where's my face pointing? That's it. And my my experiments that I did the other day that people can find on Instagram where I did weird swings. I looped it over my head. I took inside approaches, outside takeaways. I did silly grips and I produced very functional shots with it. All I was doing was calibrating strike 
and face direction to show that if you get those two things, that ball will fly how you want it to. So what's it? Is it the Pareto principle or something? The 80-20 rule? The 80-20 rule in golf is if you get strike and face direction, well, that is 80% of golf. I, in fact, I'd say it's 90% of golf. The other 10% could be found in things like swing path and spin loft and things like that. This is pretty much what I wanted to get across to people in this episode. Obviously, there's <laughs> there's a lot further information on how to do this. Um, but I just want people to know that, you know, when you're thinking directionally on the golf course, golf is a, a game of proximity and it's a game of dispersion. And when we talk about dispersion from left to right, we are really talking a lot about your face angle or what, what direction your club face is pointing at impact. So just knowing that is a huge benefit. And then secondly, um, we gave you a little bit of homework in your, in your practice routines. Um, so let's just wrap it up there. I don't know. I don't want to say like we just had a great episode, but I feel like we just gave a good piece of information. <laughs> I'll, I'll Someone can email me and be like, you know, I tried that. <laughs> it totally screwed up my game. So I'm not going to rest on my laurels just yet. Well, yeah, but I'll give a few, we'll give- a few uh, finishing thoughts. Number one, when you're trying this stuff, uh, I'm going to plug my own program here. Go to Next Level Golf or the Accuracy Plan in AdamYoungGolf.com. And I've got ways of controlling it. So the, the things that I talked about hitting right and left intentionally and precisely, I've got a module called Feel Mapping that shows you how to do this and shows you how to build it. But to your point, you don't want to, you probably don't want to open up Pandora's box right before you go out for a round of golf. So you need to do this at the right time. And probably winter is a, is the good time to start learning this stuff, start experimenting with right and left. So like I said, it doesn't open up Pandora's box. The other thing that I wanted to say was that we've talked about the effect of face, but you can actually put a number on it. It's 50% more influential on the overall direction. So if you've got a robot and you got it to change the face by one degree, it would change it by 13 yards at 250 yards. If you got that same robot to change the path by one degree, it would only change the outcome by nine yards. So controlling the face is so important because it has, a, like I said, almost a 50% more or higher influence on the overall direction than swing path. And so many people are so obsessed on their swing path. Oh, I came over the top of that one. Oh, I'm too far from the inside. Well, yeah, that's fine. But ultimately, almost any swing path can work if the face is presented well. Exactly. It is the one of the great glues of the golf swing, mm-hmm. meaning like it, it, it kind of brings everything together. All right, Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. Again, check out the accuracy plan. And if you want to dive deeper, next level golf. And if they want to complain to you on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you got to give it an opportunity. I'll, I'll tell him it's at Adam Young Golf. So if, if something bad happened, you can complain to him there. All right. Where can they um, troll you, John? They can troll me. Um, this is John Sherman. I'm the owner of Practical Golf. You can find me at practical-golf.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. I got new articles every week. Um, I'm not the golf swing guy, but I keep talking about the golf swing. And I think I'm doing that because now I finally have like a good counterpoint. So if I say something that's completely wrong and messed up, you can at least call me out on it. You're doing well. Um, All right, good. So I'm more comfortable talking about these things in audio format. Um, And you can, of course, chat with me on Twitter at Practical Golf. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Um, And give us, you know, feedback and ideas for further episodes. And we will see you next time.